Welcome to another episode of Monday, Monday Afternoon, afternoon Theologian. Recording in progress. Try to be funny today, Rick. Come on. Oh, I don't know if that's possible. I've, <laughs> I've never been funny in my life. My wife tells me I'm just unintentionally funny. <laughs> well, sometimes people will say that I'm witty and I'll tell them that they're half right. <laughs> Guilty as charged. <laughs> well, what are we going to be discussing today as we're continuing to make our way through the character qualities of Galatians chapter 5 in the fruit of the Spirit? Well, since it's our fifth one, and the fifth one in the list is kindness, perhaps we could do that one. That sounds great. It may be worth a, just a quick reflection back on last week. Mm -hmm. because these two kind of go hand in hand. I mean, they all go hand in hand, Neither or none of them work in a vacuum. But this week has been, again, another week of a thousand annoyances. So my patience level has been nearly non-existent. Hmm. But because of our discussion and that preceding it, did figure that I could control most of it and not lash out when the frustration and the impatience bubbled up to the point that I was ready mm. to snap. Yeah. And that's kind of a place where kindness comes in. If you don't snap at somebody, mm -hmm. it, it, it may not be intentional kindness, mm -hmm. but at least it's not making a situation worse and not potentially harming somebody with your words, right. which is kind of a backhanded kindness. That's true. That's sort of uh, impatience under control. Yeah. Which is still and better than the old. Barely under control and in many cases not controlled at all. But yeah. that's, that's just something I get to work on. And I don't normally do resolutions for a new year, which we're approaching as we record. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's something I'll be working on. Because, yeah. you know, as we, as we work through the fruit of the spirit, we have to say, the Spirit is wanting us to manifest these things every day in every possible way. Mm -hmm. So therefore, I should work on being better at all of them. That's very true. And I've noticed that because they do refer to these collectively as the fruit singular of the Spirit, I think they really are sort of overlapping and they're hand in hand. They all go together. It's a whole bunch of really good ingredients that together make one fruit of the Spirit. So I can see why patience really factors into being kind, too. I've had a couple of conversations with people this last Sunday, in fact, where I found myself trying to be patient because they had a lot more to say. And I knew I disagreed with at least one point in what they were telling me. But I had to be patient enough to display kindness to them, to let them know that I cared about them, that I wanted to be considerate of them and of their feelings, even though I was going to be pushing back after they had finished their statement. So it takes patience in order to have kindness, I've noticed. Well, and in that, that situation, you need to be sure that you're hearing what they're saying and not just part of what they're saying, but everything, because they may be reaching a, a point that there would be some agreement. Mm -hmm. And if you jump in too soon, right. you know, being impatient to get your thoughts out, you might miss the point and destroy the conversation before you have a, the opportunity to actually get in there and see what they're actually saying. Ooh, really good point. Really good point. And it's so easy to just put your car in drive and gun it and leave 
black marks all over their conversation by interrupting when you start to sense that something is different. But you're right to find that point of agreement, which is what I was seeking to do. And I was able to say, I agree with you on these points. However, and then I was able to give my little pushback and say, because of this evidence, I'm not so sure about this point over here. Yeah, so, when, when we look at communication in general, we find that very often we're just waiting till they shut up to make our point and stop listening a third of the way into what they're saying because we already assume we know what they're saying, but we may not actually know what they're right. really saying until we let them get all the words out. Very true. Very true. And uh, I'm ADDing on a story that pops up from the book. Here comes the shameless plug. Are we ready? <laughs> from this book at the heart of every great father. And I had forgotten this one because it's been so many years since I read it. But I recall having spoken with a guy who works with a friend of mine. And this guy's name was Joe. And Joe grew up helping his dad on a farm. And uh, as a young man, he was a pretty young guy. His dad was helping teach him how to drive a tractor. Because that's what you do on the farm. You learn how to drive the tractor. And he was driving it. And he had these two different brakes, you know, the kind where if you pull on this one, it locks up the right rear tire, which means that the front can go to the right. If you lock up the left rear tire, it goes to the left. Seems, seems logical. But when you're a kid and you've only been taught that once, you kind of freak out. And he said the tractor was getting closer and closer to the end of the row. And he meant to just swing the tractor around and head back the opposite direction. But he noticed that his dad was down in the bar ditch working on something. And the tractor was getting closer and closer to him. And he freaked out and he hit the wrong brake. He pulled on the wrong one. So it started swinging the tractor right toward his dad. Yikes. It was a big, heavy tractor. And his dad, fortunately, kind of suspected something might happen like that. <laughs> And the dad jumped out of the way in time and was fine, but the kid was just shaking and he stopped the tractor. So he was just waiting for his dad to come and clean his plow, so to speak. <laughs> That's a, a normal reaction at that point because you know, there was probably a fear factor, not yeah. only for the child, but for the dad being a tractor barreling down on him. But mm -hmm. how did he react? Instead, the dad walked over to him, patted him on the knee and said, are you okay? <laughs> and <laughs> Joe's thinking, am I okay? I almost ran over you with the tractor. And the dad said, did you know what you did wrong? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, good. That's a lesson you won't soon forget. Keep going. And he took off down the row again. And the dad hopped back in the ditch and finished what he was working on. And a great father, because he could have traumatized the, the child even more yeah. by reacting how many of us probably would have with screaming and yelling and, yeah. and, um, chastising him for making a mistake. Mm -hmm. And instead, he was able to be patient, use it as a learning opportunity, mm -hmm. and extend some kindness. Yep. And the Joe that I was speaking with was about 55 years old at the time he was telling me this story. And you could see it in his eyes that he was reliving it, and that that lesson stuck for all those years, probably 40 plus years. And now steering a tractor is much like driving a car, so you don't have to use the brake on either side to make the thing turn. Right. But still, that memory was really ingrained. Yeah. Probably the memory of how his father reacted was also ingrained because it wasn't in anger and fear and punishment. Yep. I think it was that same guy who was telling me that he had read a book by Ken Blanchard 
And Ken had said, never punish a learner because all you're doing when you're doing that is teaching them to be afraid of the teacher. Yeah. And that's what he learned. And which is why in his job, helping people reach their potential, he was very kind and very patient in the way he taught because he knew that the learning that was going on was learning that would really sink in and last a long time. Yeah, well, the picture that just came to mind is the stereotypical nun teaching Catholic school and smacking the hand with a ruler, yeah. as opposed to a mindset that is more of a mentor, which right. is walking side by side and teaching in a way that is much more patient, much more kind, and allows the learner to make those mistakes you know, in a non-threatening environment, as opposed to getting your hand smacked with a piece of wood. No kidding. The uh, definition of kindness that Webster might say, or some dictionary, is the quality of being friendly, generous, and considerate. And when you think about Joe's dad, he was being that. He was being friendly in his tone. He was being generous with his patience and his kindness. And, and he was being considerate of his son understanding that he valued his son and he valued what the son was going to learn from that experience. So I, that's a pretty good definition, but I think that it goes much deeper than that for most of us because we experience kindness on the feelings level very much. And we can sense when somebody's truly being kind to us or not. And within the definition, we see three more positive character traits, mm -hmm. friendliness, generosity, consideration. And those three really help us define how we look at kindness. We have an example that we see when we talked about in detail uh, not too long ago about Jesus and the woman caught in the act of adultery. You know, it's a, a story we outlined in another episode mm -hmm. and he approached it in a very different way. The uh, other folks in the story were ready to stone her. And yet after it all plays out, he asks her, where are your accusers? And they were nowhere to be found. Yeah. It was his kindness, his love for her that wouldn't allow them to stone her for one transgression mm -hmm. that allowed him to reach deeper and let her take a look at her own life and how he, as her savior, could encourage her to avoid sinning in the future and, in fact, to uh, go ahead and absolve her of all the guilt and shame that comes from her sin. I've seen this particular illustration often, and I've heard a lot of sermons on it, and it seems like the pastor always wants to get to that end and say, now go and sin no more. That tends to be a focus of this. Was he being kind when he said that, or did he suddenly become unkind and start to become judgmental when he said that? That's a good question, and I think it's worth talking about for just a couple of minutes. Yeah, well, it, it's a place where we can miss the point of kindness. You know, it's, it's not that when somebody disagrees with us or tries to, to change our opinion, you know, that's not an act of anti-kindness. You know, as we talked about with um, the communication earlier, you know, it depends on our motive as well. You know, yeah. are we trying to get to a point where we understand where they're coming from and that will then allow us to exercise kindness if we know they're going in the wrong direction mm -hmm. going in the wrong direction i think is a, a big part of showing your consideration for somebody else 
let's say, we'll use this as an illustration. If I drove up to a raging river and I almost drove my car into the water because the bridge was out and I didn't see it until the last minute, would I be kind to back up a quarter of a mile and sit there at the side of the road and just watch people fly by me toward that river? Or would I be more kind by actually standing out in the middle of the road, waving my arms and saying, stop, don't go down that road. The bridge is out, which is more kind. And in this case, that, that warning aspect is the kindness to keep people from more damage. Yeah. You know, we, we see how kindness and that definition of love we used earlier, you know, looking for the ultimate best good it's probably not the ultimate best good to have somebody smash their car into a raging river, have the water flood in and have them drown. That's, that's right. not ultimate best good in the life of that person. So right. we want to be sure that the warning we give them is done in a way that they understand it's not a judgmental warning. It's, I can see that what you're doing is destructive for you. And perhaps we might want to take a look at some different ways, some better ways that will keep you from the damage that is the natural result of the direction that you're going. Yeah. And that's a, ah, that's a tough balance to strike because people might misconstrue a warning thinking that you're being unkind and they might resist any kind of a message that sounds to them like you're being judgmental which is why I think Jesus came to show us that he literally laid down his life for the other person or persons to show them how much he loved them and cared about them. He considered their safety and well-being and their eternity that seriously that he would literally lay down his own life. So if we're laying down our lives for other people and they know that we care about them, I think they're more likely to hear even words of warning when they're coming from us. I, I remember a time back when I was a young kid and we were in Buckeye, Arizona, they had pioneer days going on, which was kind of like a big festival celebrating their old history. And for a couple of hours, they blocked off main street and detoured traffic over a block and down the back road and back out the other end of town so that it was like a big mall and people could cross back and forth to these booths that they had on the sidewalk in front of the stores. And it just was a real festive time, really fun. And we were there for a couple of hours and then we were getting ready to go back to our car but by then, the festival part was over, and so they opened up the main road going right down through the center of town again. The last time I crossed that street, it was okay for us to treat it like a mall, and I could just walk across without any problem. So I saw our car and said, there it is, and I started to run across the street. And my dad saw this car zooming down the highway straight through the center of town, and it was on a collision course with me. And so he yelled really loudly. I mean, just, I've never heard him yell like that. And he said, son, stop. And I did. But unfortunately, where I stopped was right in the middle of that lane. And then he said, come back this way. But by then he was running to get me. And he literally put himself in harm's way by running to where I was. And you heard this awful screech of tires. That guy laid on the brakes. And there he left a long black mark right up to where I was and stopped short. And it didn't hit us, my dad and me. But then my dad laid into that guy and started yelling at him. He said, what do you think you're doing racing through the center of town like that? Couldn't you see that there's pedestrians on both sides of the street all over the place like that? He goes, well, he ran right out in front of me. And I'd never heard my dad yell at anybody, but he tore into this dude. 
And then the guy finally took off and went down the street again. And I realized, oh, I get it. My dad yelled, not because he didn't like me, not because he was being unkind, but because he was being kind. He loved me enough to give me a warning because he didn't want destruction to come upon me. And that stuck pretty deeply in my little brain. It reminded me of how intent is a part of what we look at when we look at those warnings. Because as you said earlier, if we're laying down our life, if we're being an example of what Christ is, then that's a way that we build confidence in the other person that we have their best interest at heart and they will listen to a message. And yet there are other times, and you know, we see again some stereotypes, particularly in some of the, the mainstream evangelical churches where there's a, a fire and brimstone message where it's you know, repent, it's turn or burn, and those are all warnings, but it may not lead to the ultimate repentance that we want to see where somebody will realize that their sin has put some blockage between themselves and God, and they need to make a different decision. So, so true. You know, how we approach it and how we, we deliver that message is going to make a big difference on how they receive it. That's always a challenge for me when I'm preaching and presenting the gospel. I want to strike that balance so that people can clearly see and hear the love of God expressed through Christ, because the gospel all points to what he did for us. And then hopefully they'll listen a little more attentively, even when the word presents those warnings. And when God's word warns us about something, it's not because it's trying to make all of us judgmental and we're better than you are. It's because God knows his creation better than anybody. And he knows which things we will do that might become destructive or difficult for us. And he wants the very best for his creation. So there are certain things that the Bible might even call sin. And as we try to point those things out, we want to be like Christ to say, where are your accusers? Neither do I condemn you now, but go and sin no more because God wants the best for you. And God says, this is sin and sin will bring destruction upon you. That's a tough balance to strike. And yet, yet we need to, because both of those elements are important to the message. Because if there is no conviction of wrongdoing, then yeah. there never will be repentance. But right. we have to present that side of the coin somewhere in the, in the mix so that they have a full understanding that it's turning away from the destructive part of what happens because we live in a fallen world and returning to what God originally intended for us. Yeah. And I think people get drawn to the Christ in others because they can see that kind of selfless fruit of the Spirit, frankly, being demonstrated, that patience, the kindness, the gentleness, long-suffering. Uh, it seems to me that as people see the fruit of the Spirit exhibited through Christians, they start to understand that we're trying not to be judgmental of others, because we recognize that we are sinners who are saved by grace. And then when they really get into God's Word and they see things that would say, yeah, that could harm you because it's sin. It's not a part of God's will for your life, and he wants what's best for you. Then they can start making changes in their life because the Holy Spirit convicts them of that, not because we do. And the Holy Spirit is the one who starts the transformation process. And they learn to trust that God wants our very best. And so if they're living within his boundaries that he's established, then it's not. it doesn't have anything to do with better-than-thou Christians it has to do with his goodness 
and God's character qualities that he wants to just pour out on people. And that's a weird, it's a weird dynamic for people to finally get to that point where there's a conversion of thought, the conversion of attitude that takes place. And our conversion comes when we see God for who he really is. And when we realize what a loving God he really is, I think that's where real repentance comes from. It's his love that draws us into that repentance. Yeah, I saw a meme not too long ago, and it was brought to mind when you said, you know, the better than thou Christians or from a world perspective. And the meme said, this killing them with kindness is taking a lot longer than I expected. <laughs> yep. I, I think that's missing the point of kindness. <laughs> yeah. Now, if the killing means that they wind up uh, laying down their own lives and becoming a new creation in Christ, like Paul was talking about, that, that's okay, because we're all dead in our sin, so we want to die to the old life and be raised in a new life. That's what baptism signifies. But according to that meme, I don't think that's what they were talking about. I, I don't think so, but that was a very pastoral thing to say. Yes. To, to take a very negative statement and put it into a, a New Testament uh, definition there. That's uh, <laughs> to tell you've been doing this for a while. Always looking for the best. <laughs> that's right. Which is which is what we want to do, and and that's why I think that you know what we were talking about earlier, that warning of helping people see that they may be on the wrong road and the road they're, they're traveling has a bridge out and there's a raging river. Mm -hmm. you know, if we put that into the context of what the New Testament tells us, they're on a road to destruction and that's an eternal destruction. And we want to be able in our kindness and with our love to, to make that warning you know, to, to everybody that has not come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Right. I had these discussions with my roommate in college, and he just couldn't understand why a Christian would be so caught up in needing to share that faith with others. <clears throat> and it finally started to sink into him when he just point blank asked me a question because he knew that I had a grandfather on my father's side who was not a believer yet. And he said one time, and he didn't mean it to come out as mean as it sounded, but it, it sounded a little bit mean. He said, so are you telling me that if your grandfather that you say you love so much were to die tonight, he'd go to hell? I mean, he put it right out there. And because I care deeply about my grandfather, it hit me. It hit me in the gut. And I started to cry. I was surprised at how emotional I got about that because that was a realization that I was aware of. And it hit me big time. And I started to cry. And I said, yes, I, that's why I want him so much to come to faith in Christ, because I want him to be with me and, and with Christ and with all the others that I know in heaven forever. I don't want him to go to hell. And he said, oh, I'm sorry. And then he felt badly because he felt like he'd said something that hurt me. I said, no, I, you asked me a real question. I'm giving you the real answer. And the answer is, yes, I believe that if he were to die tonight, he would go to hell. And I desperately don't want him to do that. And he came to faith in Christ later. And I think part of that was, and he even said so, he said, sometimes it's the tears that communicate more than anything else. And he said, that was an important discussion we had that night. Well, and we see a, another example that Christ gives us when he healed the leper. You know, mm -hmm. He did that a number of times in the New Testament, but there's one in Matthew 8 that we might want to look at, because I think it also demonstrates that kindness, because he didn't want the leper to go through life in an unclean fashion 
And yet it was the leper who comes to him and says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And what was Jesus' response? I am willing, be clean. And the leprosy went away. And, and that's the illustration that we can use to say Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And he is willing, in fact, is what he wants more than anything, is for us to be clean in a spiritual way so that we can stand before the Father and say, it's through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that I can stand before you because he has clothed me in his righteousness, not in my own, because my righteousness is the same as dirty rags. And I can't help but think that probably that meant a whole lot of new work for that leper because he had had to live probably as a beggar in a leper colony, separate from other people who didn't want to come close to them because the legalists would say, oh, he's unclean. He is spiritually unclean as well because they connected the two. And suddenly he was given back the opportunity to be in community, but also given the opportunity to work. So that was a big change in this guy's life. He would have to re-engage. Well, and that's true for all of us. You know, we are unclean. We do need to be cleansed. You know, we talked about the big R repentance that opens the door, and yet mm -hmm. there's the little R repentance that we do on a daily basis to remain clean before him. Yeah. And all of that is so important as we work to maintain the relationship that God wants to have with us if we are willing. And mm -hmm. that willingness can be tenuous. I'm seeing another connection that's whirring through my brain as you're saying that too, and I certainly agree with you on all of those points. And that is, some Christians seem to think that we need to have this uh, ecclesiastic separation, separation be between us and those sinners out there. And I think that's been very seriously misconstrued, because if we're to be like Christ, and if we're going to put forward His character qualities that He is putting into our lives, then we're going to need to get out there and literally rub shoulders with and touch people that the legalists, even in our modern day Christianity, would consider unclean, that they are those sinners. We have to be willing to get into their culture, their subculture, or their headspace and spend enough time with them so they can see Christ being lived out in our lives. And that's hard to do. It's hard to do because we disagree with their lifestyle, for example, or with some of their behaviors, or some of the things that, to us, we didn't grow up that way, and so it feels very odd to us. How else are they going to know, though? How else are they going to see the gospel lived out if Christians aren't the ones living it out close enough to them for them to really see it? And we are encouraged to be in the world, but not of the world. So, yeah. as you just said, we, we have to be in the world where the sinners live, where the, the non-Christians, the non-believers are, Mm -hmm. and yet have a difference so pronounced in our life that they can see it and yeah. easily see it. And then, you know, we're also encouraged to have a ready answer when mm -hmm. those questions arise. Yeah. You know, you say, you know, why is, is your life different than mine? You know, why do you have peace in times of trouble? Why are you able to show patience in times mm -hmm. of frustration? Why are you able to show kindness when somebody is mean to you? Mm -hmm. You know, all of those differences are dramatic and poignant and give us an opportunity to engage in a conversation where we can provide the warning that we've already talked about. Yeah. Yeah. And to be able to do it with such gentleness and respect that the people know that we're doing it because of our compassion 
that we really do care about them. And we wouldn't be taking the time that we've been taking to get to know them as well as we do if we didn't really genuinely care about them. Not so we can slap them up, <laughs> but so that we can demonstrate the kind of kindness that Jesus demonstrates to us so they too can become the recipients of his grace that lasts forever. And that's real kindness. You know, we've, we've talked about the warnings. We've talked about a difference. We've talked about a variety of things. Maybe it would be worth a few minutes just to kind of walk through what it means to be on the wrong side of this fence mm. and how someone can, you know, one of our fellow theologians may have not ever looked at how to get onto God's side of the fence because mm. there is a barrier and we call it sin. Yeah. Maybe if you want to walk through that for just a couple of minutes and make very clear how the warning of the raging river yeah. will impact their life. That's a good idea. And the person who popped into my mind immediately as you were bringing that up is a young lady that uh, fortunately I had the privilege of baptizing her when she was a new believer, um, probably 17 years ago. And she's been walking with the Lord ever since. She had been raised in a difficult home situation. There was a broken home. Some of the people that she felt she fit with were people who were kind of on the very opposite side theologically for where we would be. In fact, she started getting really deep into Wiccan ideology, and she was, uh, in her own words, I became a practicing witch. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's not something you expect to hear from somebody that comes to your church. <laughs> Um, I would not have pegged her for that. And she goes, well, I know that some of the darkness that lives in the world today doesn't appear physically as we might expect them to. You know, they don't ride a broom and wear black hats and stuff like that. A lot of the Wiccans that I know look like me. And uh, I said, okay. So she told her story. It, it raised some eyebrows because we had our baptisms back then in a high school at the pool. So they had bleachers and everybody could sit in the bleachers. And then she was one of the persons that was bold enough with her faith to want to share her testimony before I baptized her. And she said, people were telling me that I was heading down a wrong road. And I just thought they were being mean and rude and judgmental. And she said, finally, it took several things, including people's love and kindness to bring me to a point when I was willing to say, you know, they're right. And Jesus loves me enough to lay his life down for me, and I need what he has to offer. She said, so I told him, Jesus, I'm ready to follow you. But things fell apart in my life after that. I had discussions with people who just, they literally hated me for wanting to follow him, which is what he says, you know, people will hate you because of me. And she said, at first, I was mad enough to say, I don't want to follow a God like that if it's going to create this much difficulty. She said, so then I decided, okay, well, I'm mad, but I still have to follow you. So I guess I'll just follow you mad. <laughs> this was, that was almost verbatim in her testimony. And she started following Christ, even though she was angry about some of the changes that were happening in her life. And then it was over a period of time when she started noticing that it was the right choice, that God was affirming her choice in a number of ways. And she was giving public testimony to the fact that he transformed her from the inside out in a way that only he could do. And she was so grateful that so many people had been so kind to her, even to get into her space, knowing that she was a Wiccan, but they loved her to Christ. And that was one of the coolest baptisms because I just felt like 
God allowed me that tiny little window of my time when she was a part of our fellowship before she moved out of town for me to get to witness the power of the Holy Spirit at work in somebody's life that way. And it was a strong testimony. I'll never forget it. So I'm really grateful that God can do that kind of work in somebody's life. And I'm praying that if there's somebody who is not yet a believer, but you can see with your own eyes and experience the kindness and the patience and the gentleness and the love of Christians who are laying their lives down on your behalf, I'm praying that you'll get to that point where God will just envelop you with his loving arms and say, it's about my grace. It's about my love for you. And that you'll just surrender to that. You'll give up and just snuggle right in and let him hug you and let him carry you into that safety that lasts forever, that peace that passes all understanding that only God can provide. And he did it because of what Jesus did for us. That's what I'm hoping will happen. Yeah, well, there's a question that often comes up when you're talking to somebody, especially somebody who's been on the dark side for mm -hmm. a long time. They say, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the depth of what you would call sin that's been in my life. How can God forgive all of that? Yeah. And there has to be an answer for that. And we see that when we read through the, the New Testament, when we see the story of the crucifixion, when his blood was spilled and the resurrection, he said, it's finished, it's done. It doesn't matter the depth of your personal sin because each of us, if we've sinned once, we're guilty of all. If you're guilty of all because you're guilty of all, it's the same. His blood still covers every single sin. Yeah, Paul himself, who wrote a ton of the stuff in the New Testament for us, called himself the chief of sinners because he knew he was actually persecuting Christians. He had the authority to have people arrested because he was on the opposite side of the ideological fence and thought that he was doing God a favor by doing it. And so he, he realized that he was so wrong. And if God could use somebody like Paul, he can use anybody. And that was kind of his point. And you're right. It doesn't matter what we've done. There is no sin greater than God's grace. And I think that would be one of the primary themes of the New Testament. Yeah, I'm so grateful for that grace. Can I lead a little prayer just to kind of give a guide for what somebody might say if they are at that point and they realize, yeah, I really want that kind of grace? <laughs> I think that would be very appropriate. I'll do it. Here is something that you might say something like this. And of course, it would just emanate from your own thoughts and your own heart. But this is a, a sample. God, I realize that I am a sinner. And I realize from having seen abundant evidence through the lives of other people who are kind and gentle and patient and loving toward me, that they've been pouring out your character qualities and that they've been loving me enough to be patient with me, even though they know that I'm not at the same place that they are. And I realize now that the only way I'm going to find the kind of peace that passes understanding is for me to surrender into your grace and to do your will, to follow Christ. I want to walk with Christ. And so I lay down my life and I ask for your forgiveness. And I ask you to not just forgive me, but to guide me in this way that I've been hearing about, that you would walk alongside me and be my spiritual guide, my mentor, my friend, all the things that you are for me. I just want Christ. I want to get to know you as my friend 
And because you're my Lord and my Savior, and you've promised to be so much more than that, I realize that you're giving me so much more than I could ever get in my own strength or from going down the path that I was on before. I need a new path. I want to walk the path of Christ. And I want you to do that right now, I pray. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When I was looking at some of the scriptures that talk about kindness, particularly in the Old Testament, when they're talking about God's kindness toward the, the individuals, uh, often the message would come through one of the prophets. It really gets summed up in God's grace. I mean, he, he showers us with kindness and patience so that we will be in a point that we can come to repentance. And it, it is our prayer that everybody who, who um, is impacted by anything that we do would come to that repentance would really understand how much God wants the relationship with his child, regardless of what you've done in the past. Yeah. You know, we become a new creation. We become totally clean and we can stand before him and have that relationship on a daily basis, on a moment by moment basis, because we need him so much. Yeah. No kidding. I am sure grateful for that. Man it is all about grace. And I would want so badly, like I told my roommate in college when we had that difficult talk, I'd want you so badly to come to faith in him that if I could crawl inside your brain and rewire the synapses and get a new pathway started so that you could make that decision, if I could affect that, I would, but I can't because each one of us has to make that decision for ourselves. And I would just pray that if you, fellow theologian, are needing to make that decision. It has to come from your heart. We can't make that decision for you, but I really would like for you to, because I care about you enough to want so many people to be with us forever in that eternity that God promises everybody who is under his care. So what do you think are the chances that we will be back next week to put together another episode? I'm going to give it about an 86% chance. <laughs> I'm just leaving a little wiggle room there because I didn't expect to get COVID several weeks ago <laughs> and I had that breakthrough infection. I'm feeling so much better now, but you know, we have to allow for certain things that take place, snow events that can affect internet access and that sort of thing can happen too. But I would say it's a pretty good, strong chance that we'll be back doing this again next time. <laughs> well, speaking of snow events, making uh impact on our lifestyle. We've had several power outages because of snow in our area. Mm. The local ski resort has had 87 inches of snow in the last week. We've had about uh, 24 here with another 7 to 10 expected overnight. Wow. So you're right. Things out of our control can make a difference in, uh, in our lifestyle for a period of minutes or several hours sometimes. So, wow. Uh, it's uh, mm. It's a day-by-day, moment-by-moment walk. We never know what life is going to throw at us. Nope. And we want to open ourselves up for whatever those interruptions are, because sometimes the interruptions are actually a detour on the road to purpose. Amen. Uh, wait a minute. That, uh, that sounds familiar. <laughs> that might be one of the books that's available on our website. <laughs> and why don't you give us how they can find our website, by the way, Rick, since we're wrapping up. Here. All right. The easiest way is just to type in Monday afternoon theologians, then a dot, the word podia, P-O-D-I-A, dot com. And uh, we've got a lot of resources there and more on the way. It's something we'll be putting in uh, every week as we move forward, some new things. So 
love to have you look at it. And there's there's some stuff in there that you can look at if you've got questions on theology. Being a mm -hmm. theologian, you probably do. So take a look at some of those things. And there's probably some things there that you haven't thought about yet. Mm -hmm. Very good. And if you've hung in there this long with us, you must like us enough to hang in there this long. So thanks for that. And <laughs> that being the case, would you consider subscribing to our YouTube channel? And if you want to get notifications every time we have a new episode that pops up, you can just hit that little bell. Uh, you know how it works. If you're a YouTuber at all, you know how that stuff works. And if you find that one of these episodes has helped you think through a particular concept in a way that's helpful for you and you want to share it with somebody, we'd love for you to do that. That's one of the ways that we're hoping people can share their faith and their own stories of how they're walking with the Lord so that other people can see that and see the fruit of the Spirit being poured out through you to your friends and relatives as well. And one of the things we're planning for the coming year is we'll be creating a newsletter. And if you're on our website at the bottom of every page, you can just sign up right there. And we'll be happy to let you know what's new, what's exciting, what we have coming, uh, all forthcoming in the new year. Very good. Thank you so much. And I appreciate, Rick, how much work you've been doing on that website, because I've looked at it recently, and it's coming together so nicely. A lot of good resources there, many of which don't come directly from us, because there are some classes, courses that you can take online from some really smart people, a lot smarter than I am, let me tell you. Posting posting links to other articles to dealing with various theological subjects from people, again, who are much smarter than we are, been yep. studying this perhaps a, a bit more diligently over their life. And mm -hmm. there's some heavy duty stuff and there's also some fun stuff. So yeah. uh, we'll be putting more of that on as we move forward. Excellent. Very good. Well, thanks for hanging in there, folks. And we hope you'll see us next time again for another episode of Monday, Monday Afternoon, afternoon. Theologians. 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 Theologians.